hi everybody. Great to have you at Portico today, whether you're joining us in live or if you're connecting over in our chapel today or if you're in one of our video venues or perhaps you're listening to us by way of our iPod or our podcast. It is just great to have you tied into Portico and to just be a part of what God's doing here at the church. And for those of you that are in the room this morning, I want you to take your Bibles out. If you need to borrow a Bible, our ushers can help you out. Raise your hand real high, and no matter what venue you're in, we'll get one to you. Keep your hand up, an usher will get you a Bible. Leave it on the seat at the end of the service, and you can follow along. Those of you that have your Bibles or your electronic devices, go to uversion.com on your uh, smartphones, smart devices, and you can look up live events. You're going to find Portico. And then you can follow along electronically, and the rest I'm going to encourage you to take your bulletins. We have notes for you today that you can track with us as well. If you're visiting today, we are so glad you're here. And uh, we feel like we just trust that you have enjoyed the presence of God. And as we worship together, we really believe that we're free because of Christ. And we want you to know that. And you are always welcome to drop in here at Portico. Well, get your Bibles out. We're going to go to Luke chapter 10. This has been our jump-off point for the last couple of uh, messages now because our series has been called Revolution. We're rethinking what's best in life and relationships. And each of the weeks we've been looking at when Jesus sent out the 72, he sent them out with a message of good news, but he did it very specifically. And as he sent the 72 out, we were looking at the comparison towards his global impact of ministry, realizing that he's going towards the cross. He knows the fulfillment of his purpose of coming to earth was drawing near. So he sends out the 72 And they are now going to be his voice, his messengers. And he gives very specific instructions. And we've been looking at that week after week after week and understanding that each of the elements that he asks them to do is very integral in terms of helping people find their way back to God. So they were praying with people. They were listening to people's needs. They were eating together. And this morning, we're actually going to look at, or today we're going to look at, uh, a message that's called Rethinking Compassion, this whole area of what compassion and serving is really all about. I got to tell you, serving is uh, not always what it's, you know, cracked up to be. Now, Luke chapter 10, verse 9, here's what Jesus said to the 72. He goes, I want you, when you go, I want you to heal the sick. Now, we read that in Scripture, go, well, that's not so bad, is it? Now, remember, to this point, the followers of Jesus have been watching him do all the miracles. He's been going out. He would go into the synagogue and see a man with a withered hand, and he'd say, stretch it out, and they would be amazed his hand would get whole. He'd say to the blind person, you know, be healed, and the sight would return. He'd say to the lame man, rise and walk. The man would rise and walk. And people are like, wow, this Jesus. Now imagine if you're one of the 72, and Jesus says to you, he says to me, now go, and I want you to go out, and I want you to pray with them, I want you to listen to them, I want you to eat with them, and I want you to heal the sick. Would you feel a little bit of trepidation about the ability to be able to respond to that command? I would. I mean, when you think about watching and then participating, there's a little bit of a gap here. And so Jesus tells him, I want you to serve the needs of the people, have compassion for them or respond to them. But I mentioned this to you, serving is not always what we think it's cut out to be. You know, a number of years ago, one of the homes that we used to live in, Laura and I used to live in, uh, we tried our best to be good neighbors. How many of you try to be good neighbors? You're in church, so don't lie. But if you are, you know, raise a hand and it's good. We, we try to be good neighbors. You know, we, we understood the neighbor etiquette. You guys know the neighbor etiquette? That means you cut your grass, preferably before your neighbor, so that you set the pace. You keep your yard looking good. You know, that's your responsibility. And when winter comes, much like we're experiencing right now in Ontario, you clear the snow from your driveway and from your sidewalk. So, you know, that's sort of the code of ethic if you're going to be a good neighbor. So this uh, particular season in our life, it was a number of years back, we were living in our home, 
and I had gone home from work, and it snowed most of the day. And when I got home, there was a lot of snow in the driveway, so I wanted to do my part as a good neighbor. I was the first one home. Nobody else in the block was home yet, so I got into the house, got out, and I fired up my snowblower, you know, that high-octane gas-powered thing. Ah, it's a tool. So I got that thing ready to go, and I was just going to have a little bit of fun out in the driveway. So I blew out the driveway. Some of you are looking at me. Shoveling snow is fun. It is if you got the right tool. So here we are. So, I mean, I'm blowing the snow out of my driveway, and then I get down to the sidewalk, and, you know, the city says clear your sidewalks, and I go, no problem, and I just, like, motor through the sidewalk, motor the other way up the sidewalk. I got this thing clean, and if you know me at all, my lines are, like, right there, everything. I mean, my son couldn't cut the grass if the lines weren't right. So I got everything, and everything is all good. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm about to put the snowblower away, and I look over, and my sidewalk's the only one clear in the entire neighborhood. I got thinking to myself, you know, a good neighbor would probably clear his neighbor's sidewalk, right? Just waiting. So there I am. Nobody else is home. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'll do that. So I get my snowblower and I blow out the sidewalk this way. I blow the sidewalk out that way. And I go back. I look over and I think, I'm feeling pretty good. I, you know, I did a good job. I, I should get the Neighbor of the Year Award next summer for sure. That's what I should get. Put my snowblower away. It was still snowing during the day. Put my snowblower away. Went into the house. Next morning I got up. It still snowed. So I went out and I repeated the exercise. I cleared out my driveway, cleared off the sidewalks both directions. Never said anything to any of my neighbors. Just did my job. Went about my work and went off to work. Well, a couple of weeks go by. We get another one of those famous, you know, it's not going to snow today in Ontario days. And we got a dump of snow. And so I didn't get home first, and when I got home at the end of the day, I realized it was still snowing. I thought, nobody's going to do their driveways, nobody's going to do their sidewalks until the snow lets up. So I left myself some extra time for the next morning. So I got up in the morning, and as I was having my cup of coffee, I could hear a snowblower running. And I thought, oh, isn't it great to have good neighbors? So I'm drinking my coffee, and I walk over to the front window, and as I drink my coffee, and my neighbor's finished clearing out his driveway, I thought, that's awesome. And then he turns, and he's headed down the sidewalk, and I thought, like you thought, oh, man, it is so good to have a neighbor that you can count on. And as he's blowing out the sidewalk, I'm drinking my coffee, and then I almost choked in my coffee. He got to the property line. He stopped there, turned and cut the path, and went right back down towards his. He didn't blow my sidewalk out. I'm going... How can you do that? I've done yours twice. Not that I'm keeping score, but I am. Because I think Jesus would keep score, right? You know, what would Jesus do? I blew your driveway, you blow my... Come on, what's the deal? So, I mean, now I'm like I'm boiling hotter than my coffee is and I'm drinking this. I wanted to pound on the window and go, Hey, Jesus would blow my sidewalk out. What is wrong with you? And he goes right about his business, took his snowblower in. Well, now I'm bubbling a little bit. You're all thinking, man, we should have fired you back then. But I'm just, you know, a little bit of emotion is stirred up inside of me, and I go outside, and I fire up my snowblower. And i got to be honest with you. Now I'm blowing my drive out. When I hit the sidewalk, and I'm headed towards his house, you know a little snowshoe off the front of your snowblower? I didn't want to go sideways. I wanted to go straight ahead. So when I was going down the sidewalk, I wanted to blow it back onto my neighbors. Anybody ever felt that way? Ooh, only me. Jeff signed me up for counseling. Uh, so, so, I mean, I'm blowing it down, and I'm thinking, oh, turn the crank, Doug, turn the crank. Freely you have received, freely give. That's what it says in the Bible. Just return to your neighbor. But I didn't. You know, you'll all be proud of me. I went for therapy, and I blew it off to the sides. And I went back into the house, and I was really disturbed by this whole thing. I thought, how could he not do my driveway? And then it's like God just sort of tapped me on the shoulder. Don't you hate it when God wants to talk to you and you have to listen? You have that moment? God just does that little tap on the shoulder. 
And he goes, Doug, do you think maybe you're serving for the wrong motives? No. That's my first response was no. And he goes, why did you do that? Why did you blow out the driveway? Why are you keeping score? So I have this little bit of a conversation with God. And then this verse of Scripture, and it's right there in your notes if you want to look at it. It's found over in Mark chapter 10. And he brings this little verse of Scripture back to mind. For the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve. And it was like this whole part of my life was just opened up before God. And he goes, do you understand that serving isn't about the reciprocal value of what you're going to get back? It's what you give and the blessing that comes out of that experience and that alone. And so as my emotions came back down and I began to realize, and we've all had those moments where we go, sorry, God. And you stand there in that moment and you realize afresh, Jesus, and I want you to get this, Jesus came. This is what God made so real to me. Jesus came to serve me, not for me to serve him. Jesus came to serve you, not for you to serve him. Now, we'll talk about how all that fits in a little bit later. But we often misconstrue why Jesus came, and we think, well, we're supposed to be serving him right now. No, the reason Jesus came is because he knew that we needed to be rescued. And he came with no other expectation, no other condition. He came and gave his life to serve us. And that was all he asked. But now once we become a follower of Christ, things change. And I've noticed some things. I think it's entirely possible to demonstrate compassion and service for all the wrong reasons. I look around the church, I look around just our our city, and I look around our neighborhoods, and I see a lot of people, some people serve and there's great joy, and I see a lot of other people that serve, and there's just almost like a spirit of discontent, and they just, they're looking for recognition, and when the recognition isn't there, there's actually agitation and an unsettledness in their spirit. And if we don't catch this early, it becomes caustic, not only in our relationship with God, but with our relationship to each other, because we bench everything based upon, if I give to you, then you better give back to me. And that's never what the scripture talks about. So this morning, we want to rethink compassion. We want to have a look at why do we serve? Why do we do what we do? And what was it that Jesus was calling these that he sent out when he said, I want you to go and to heal the sick. I want you to demonstrate compassion and service, even if you get nothing back from this. So we're going to understand maybe a little bit of a deeper truth here of what compassion serving truly is. So take your notes out. Let's fill in a few blanks, and let's see if we can't learn a few things together as the Holy Spirit leads us. Here's the first thing I want you to write down today, that serving others is an essential expression of my relationship with God. That's what it is, that when I serve, I'm not doing it hoping that somebody else is going to recognize what I do and I'm not going to qualify for the neighbor of the year award. I don't serve for that capacity. If you're honored for something of service, that's a wonderful thing. But if we seek the accolades, then we're serving for the wrong reasons. So Paul captures this in a real unique way, and it's there in your notes. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And Paul says this. He writes to the believers, and he goes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be, what's the word? Sorry, I didn't hear it. Free. He said, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, here's another word. What is it? Serve. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So Paul writes to these believers, and he goes, I want you to notice something. You were called to be free. 
And he's very, very specific here. He goes, I want you to understand that your Christian life did not begin with your decision to follow Jesus. Now watch this very, very carefully. Most of us would look back upon our lives. Those are their followers of Jesus. Some of you maybe are investigating faith and you're just sort of checking out this whole church side. But those of you that have already made a faith decision, we often can look back to a point where we made our decision. We can go to a church service, a conversation with a friend, a podcast, a video broadcast, somewhere where a communicator or presenter or the message was given, and it all made sense to us who Jesus was as the Son of God, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, raised back to life by the power of God, and new life is ours. So we go back to that, and we can recognize, we go, that's when I decided. Here's what Paul does. He goes, just a minute. Before you did that, here's what he wants us to see. He said, you were called by God. Your salvation doesn't begin with you. It begins with God. God is the one who took the step towards us. So Paul is telling these believers, if you really want to understand what your faith is all about, God took the initiative in his grace when you were still in rebellion and sin. When you could not and you didn't have the capacity to get out of sin, God, in his grace and mercy, extended himself towards us. So really, our salvation is all about God and has very little to do with us. God gives his gift of grace and mercy to us, and when we recognize that, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws us towards God. So when we respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, I'm not making the decision. I'm responding to what the work of the Spirit is doing in my heart and my life. Does that make sense? So Paul says to these believers, he goes, when you understand this, it will fundamentally change the way you live your life. He says, when you recognize that you're free, no rules, no regulations, no religious gymnastics, God never asked you to be good enough. He didn't ask you to work for your forgiveness. He didn't ask you to be more devout and more religious. God didn't ask you to be more charitable. You couldn't do anything. Get this. You couldn't do anything to earn God's grace. He said, you can't work for your salvation. It is a gift. When somebody gives you a gift, it's free. And that's what he says. So now when you recognize you're free in Christ, now notice what Paul says. This is why the gospel is such incredible good news. Go back, look at Galatians 5 of your Bible, still open in verse 13. Paul says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. You know, don't use this wonderful gift from God to become sort of narcissistic and self-indulgent. He goes, rather, I want you to, what's the word? serve one another humbly in love. Now, we read the word serve, and uh, if, you're one of, if you're like me, I like to underline and circle in the Bible or in my notes. That's a word that is worth highlighting or circling because the English rendition of the original language doesn't really extrapolate the full meaning here. What Paul was using, the actual word structure was the same word for slave. Get this. Paul is saying, now that you know you're free, be a slave to each other in love. This was radical for first century believers. Here you have a society that's benchmarked on masters having multiple slaves, ruling over multiple slaves. Some were finding freedom. We went through this in a series in Ephesians. It was a wonderful series together. But some were finding freedom. And now Paul says to these believers, he goes, hey, by the way, when you found your freedom in Christ... You now become a slave to everyone. You don't have one master. You have multitudes of masters. So what he was painting in this picture was that salvation is this incredible, 
incredible gift of God. It's a two-sided coin. You're free from your sin, and you're free now to be a slave. You're free to not worry about condemnation and guilt, because forgiveness is yours, and you're free to be a slave to all people. That means I become a slave to all of you. That means you become a slave to me. But we serve one another humbly in love. And it is absolutely transformational when we recognize that this is what the whole gift of serving is about. Look at James chapter 2. It's in your notes in verse 14. James writes, and he goes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith and has no deeds? You know, people get really hung up on this and they go, Oh, do you have to work for your salvation? No, 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 no. James goes, You can't separate these. That your salvation is expressed, your relationship with God, it's an essential expression to serve others. That when you are serving because of your freedom, you're actually showing other people that I am free in Christ. And so he was showing people how to find true liberty, true joy, particularly in a culture and a society where there's so much bondage and so much control. I like what Henry Nouwen says. Jesus promises us a life in which we increasingly have to stretch out our hands and be led into places where we would rather not go. That when we become a follower of Jesus, he goes, he is going to stretch us and direct us into places where only serving will take us. And it's not going to bring any accolades, and it's not going to bring any recognition, and it's not going to bring any reward in this temporal life per se, but it's going to give all the glory to God, and it's going to reflect the wonderful relationship that we have. And that would mark such a difference. Back in your notes, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to who? All people. All people. Now, we tend to be a little bit selfish and self-centered at times. And so we narrow down who we want to demonstrate goodness to. Is that not true? It is. Because if somebody offends us, somebody hurts us, all you need to do is just think about the neighbor, think about the coworker, think about the family member that never makes your invitation list. We all have people that we can readily identify that we go, I would just rather not be in their orbit if I don't have to be. Yet Paul says, let us do good to all people. Because in serving even those who are our enemies, we are demonstrating that this is an expression of our faith in God. What a remarkable gift and what a great freedom that we have together to do this. Well, let's go back into our notes and look at the second principle here. The practical reason for serving others is why do we do it? Here it is. Serving others tangibly demonstrates God's love for everyone. When we serve others, it's not about us. It is about demonstrating that God loves everyone that God is bent on reaching them and helping them find their way back into a relationship with him. Paul, so compelled by grace, it's in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. Look what Paul says in his life. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible. Wow, what a statement. Look at that. All things, all people, by all means possible, that I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That Paul says, I will willingly and actively do whatever's necessary. I will serve anyone if for the sake of helping them find their way back to God. I will go out and I will preach. I will heal the sick. I will pray. I will shovel sidewalks if that's what it takes for people to find the goodness and the grace of God. So we have many different ways of doing this. There's random acts of kindness where we just go out and we want people to see that God loves them. We used to wear little bracelets. Maybe some of you still have them. They used to say, WW. Remember them? 
WWJD, what did it stand for? This is interactive, by the way. Some of you are like, whoa, we're talking in church here. Doug, what are you up to? What would Jesus do? I think most of the time we wore them, it used to be what would Jesus think? I saw a lot of people wear the bracelets, but not live like Jesus lived. So it was a great reminder, what would Jesus do? Yeah, he would do that. I don't do that. But this is the call that we can't separate, that serving others tangibly demonstrates God's love towards everyone. And we are God's conduits of grace. What a gift that God has given to all of us. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. It's in your notes. I'm going to ask you to do this again. If you've got a pen or if you're going to highlight, I'm going to give you three words I want you to circle or to highlight when we go through this. 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever, circle the word gift or highlight it, you have received to serve, underline or circle or highlight that one, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's, and here's the word, grace. Great verse. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Why is this so significant for us? Here, I want you to hear this. You, you have been given a gift from God. Every one of us. So you can't exempt yourself from this. That's what's beautiful about this. That God, in his incredible goodness and mercy and grace, gives all of us gifts. We all have different gifts. God's not asking you to necessarily to be a preacher, a communicator, a teacher, an evangelist. We all have different gifts. And what Peter is writing to us about, he says, listen, God has given you a gift so that you can serve, so that people can see grace. Do you see the connection? That when we use our gift and we serve with our gift, it tangibly demonstrates the grace of God. I think the world is waiting to see the church rise up and unleash the gifts that God has given to it. That there would be a revolution, the rethinking of life and relationships when we actually grow into this. When a husband loves his wife unconditionally and serves her and she is in awe of the man of God that she married When a wife will serve her husband and follow his leadership, he will be in awe of an incredible expression of grace. When children will honor their parents or friends will care for and believe in the best in each other and won't talk behind their backs, will build them up and pray for them. When an employee will give an honest day's work and an employer will serve and faithfully steward resources and empower their workers to experience God's grace in its fullness. Can you see how this could change our world? How remarkable is serving? I like what Martin Luther King said. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul regenerated by love. You see that? A heart full of grace, and Paul said that's free, and a soul that has been just regenerated by love, and that's what we do. It's those two things, two sides of the coin coming together. What a remarkable way for us to demonstrate God's love. Go back to your notes. Here's another principle I want to share with you. So when we talk about serving and rethinking compassion, well, then we need to understand that serving others, it costs me something. It costs me something. Because we live in a world where love is often biased, and it is extremely self-serving, and it's most often expressed, I mentioned this before, in a reciprocal fashion, that I will give as long as I know what's going to come back. But that's what makes this different for us. Because the call to follow Christ is not the call to look for the reciprocal anticipated response. It is the willingness to serve in shadows. It is a willingness to do without recognition. It is a willingness to believe that the God who has gifted us, the God who has called us, and the God who empowers us will recognize and reward us faithfully whether we see it while we live on this earth or not. 
it was costly for Jesus. We were reminded of the scriptures, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then Mark goes on to say this, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible says that there is no greater gift than one man would lay down his life for others. And Jesus willingly laid his life down for us. What a gift, but what a cost. I recently read a very challenging section in a book. The book was titled, Don't Waste Your Life, and it was written by John Piper. And I just want to give you one paragraph, because this one made me reread it. It just stopped me for a moment. And John Piper writes in his book, he said, why don't people ask us about our hope? He's writing to believers. He goes, why don't people ask us about our hope? And he goes on to respond this way. He said, the answer is probably that we look as if we hope in the same things that they do. Our lives don't look like they're on the Calvary Road, stripped down for sacrificial love, serving others with the sweet assurance that we don't need to be rewarded in this life. Did you catch his sentiment? He goes, could it be that people aren't asking followers of Jesus or the church about our hope anymore because our hope is vested into the same things that they hope for? We're more concerned about whether we have our retirement funds, our bank accounts, our homes, and our cars, and our clothes. And we go after all the things that they go after. And when markets crash in 2001 and 2008, and they're going to crash again, when all of those things and the instability rocks our world, and then suddenly our hope is shattered, and everybody looks around and they go, so where is hope? And Jesus said, you know, don't vest your life into things that will rust and rot and decay and will wither. He said, but bank your life in the future. Look at the kingdom of God. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Go after those things. And he goes, I'll take care of all the rest for you. But could it be that maybe our form of serving has been corrupted because it's self-serving with motives that please us but don't offer hope to anyone else? And so when I look at this, I go, what a remarkable gift God has given to all of us. He goes, I've given you freedom. I have forgiven your sins, and I've called you to a new way of life. When you live your life, you don't have to go after all these things. Now, there's nothing wrong with them. We don't have to get all messed up on this thing. You can have a nice car and a nice home. And it. He goes, that's not what it's about. That's not your hope. And your hands are open freely so that the resources that you have can be dispensed and serve into other people's lives. That when God taps you on the shoulder, when a neighbor's in need and he goes, Doug, go blow out their sidewalk. And don't wait for them to do it for you. You go, I'll do that. Or when someone is shut in and you prepare a meal and you go, I can do that. I can take a meal into their home and I can take care of them. Or when someone is in prison and you go, I can go visit them. Or someone is sick or someone just needs encouragement or someone has just lost a loved one. There is a myriad of ways where we can serve without expecting any kind of return because we know what we're doing is we're investing in the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? And together, it's a revolution. That of all of us, just imagine if in this room and over in the chapel and over in the video cafe and anybody listening to me on the podcast today, if all of us together would individually within our sphere of influence would begin to live both sides of this wonderful gift of salvation, not only to be free in Christ, but free to serve. And we started serving one another. We would never get out of the church today because everybody would want to hold the door for the other person. Wouldn't that be great? No, you go first. No, you go first. No, we get nothing done. It'd be fantastic. We'd all hang out at church all day long because nobody would go through the door. We'd serve one another. Now, it's a little bit facetious, but it's true. When's the last time we've really paused? We were racing into a restaurant, you know, and there's like two tables left, and we want that table, and somebody else is coming in. When's the last time we actually stepped back and we just held the door? And we go, go ahead, go first, knowing that they're going to get the table before we do. 
See, that's not in our old human nature to do that. Our old human nature, and I have one of those, at the old human nature, it goes, no, I want my table and I want my food, and it doesn't really matter who else is in line, right? But here's a remarkable thing. What would it look like? Could it be maybe there's a revolution that's pending that when the church of Christ rises up and actually begins to humbly serve like Jesus, we wash the feet of others and we see them transformed? It says over Mark chapter 6, verse 37, that's a great little story. Jesus was going away on a little bit of a retreat with his disciples. And if you remember the story, and if you don't know it, I'll just frame it for you. They were going away on a retreat. The crowds of people followed Jesus. They were so far from the city, there was nowhere to eat. The disciples recognized, what are we going to do with all these people? They're hungry. And so they said to Jesus, you know, what are we going to do? So here's a little conversation, Mark chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus said to them, well, you give them something to eat. So the disciples said to Jesus, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? See, the immediate serve response that we have, what's it going to cost me? And am I prepared to spend the price? These guys failed to recognize in that moment, this was the word. This was God Almighty who created. This is one who spoke and the world came into being. This was one who could call blindness and, uh, or reject blindness and see sight come in and raise the lame up. So here in their presence is the very one who could work a miracle. And they're worried about the price tag. And Jesus goes, that's not what this is about. And the beauty of the moment is, is he would teach them that he blesses and he prays over this food. And he multiplies the fish and the loaves and the people are all fed. And they're in awe of this God. This isn't a history book that we look back. This is an instructional book that reminds us that there's a way to live that is remarkably different than the world, that God is still able today, that the God who could multiply the fish and the loaves 2,000 years ago, he can multiply the little resource or the much resource that we have in our lives if we will open up our hands and we will give it to him. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 in your notes, he says this, though I am free, and belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone. There's that word again. So that I can win as many as possible. Why did Paul say that? Because when I know I'm free and my sins are forgiven, then I will serve others. They're inseparable. Serving others so that they will be, they will be able to find their way back to God. What a gift. In Matthew chapter 5, or sorry, Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, a little bit of a story of a king reconciling his accounts. And Jesus had told this story to his followers, and he was encouraging them that when they serve, their acts of service would be recognized. Look what it says here. The king will reply to those that were faithful. He said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He's rewarding those who were willing to serve in obscurity, who, who saw the shadows not as a place to be run away from, but as a place to find themselves comfortable in, who could see their lives and all that they had as a gift from God, and that every day, wherever we go, whoever we speak to, there's an opportunity to serve. So I pray for all of us that we would be a church that would start a revolution, and that our revolution would be not only do we celebrate our freedom in Christ like we did this morning, but we go out and we demonstrate our freedom in Christ, and we serve all people, regardless of who they are. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning, that's exactly what we pray. That you would just, again, give us a glimpse of our salvation and the freedom that we have in Christ. That we couldn't do anything to earn it. It was a gift from you.
And no matter how hard we try, and many of us have, we tried to be good enough. We tried to attend church as often as we could. We tried to do enough good deeds that maybe you would be approving of our lives. And yet your word tells us that it is a gift. It's absolutely free. And when we recognize that gift, then we will willingly lay our lives down and we will serve others. And so, Lord, I pray in this moment right now, I pray that every one of us in the room would awaken to a revolution, that we would think and live differently because of what Christ has done for us, that this wouldn't be just something we hear and we feel good about, but today we would leave this place. Holy Spirit, just intercept us every moment of the day and just cause us to be awake and alert to what you want us to do and how we can serve Maybe it's at home, maybe it's to a neighbor, maybe it's to a worker across in the, in the workplace with us. Maybe it's a friend or maybe it's in a small group, wherever it is. And I also pray that you would help maybe those that are still investigating what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe today, for the first time, they realize that when they say yes to Jesus, they don't have to bring anything to the table, but simply to acknowledge that they need you. They need the forgiveness of their sins. And that, God, you've done it all through your son, Jesus. Your eyes are closed and just in a moment of prayer. I believe there's probably individuals in this room and in the chapel and our video cafe and even listening to me today. You need to pray that prayer. You need to make that declaration. You just need to say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. Forgive my sins. And that's what you're doing. By saying yes to him, you're inviting him to be Lord. And here's the great thing. It's free. It's a gift. And when you experience that, all he's going to ask is when you go out, then you freely serve as a result of this. So as I close in prayer, may that be your desire today. So Lord, for men and women, young people today, I pray that that would be their call. They'd say, yes, Jesus, come into our hearts. And now for all of us, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just stir a passion, that we would hold nothing back because of our freedom that we'd be reminded we're free to live, we're free to give, and we're free to serve you. And I pray it in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.